Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me again is our special guest, Pastor Brent Kuhlman from Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. Pastor Kuhlman was with us on episode three, and we had a lot of discussion with regard to what worship is, why worship is, what is essential in worship, and uh these things, these things given and commanded by God, are not indifferent things. And we ended with a historical discussion of adiaphora and indifferent things. Pastor Kuhlman did a wonderful job of taking us historically through the, I don't know if I can say this word right, adiaphoristic controversies that uh, resulted in the Augsburg interim and then the Leipzig interim and uh, really, really mandated from the government certain rites and ceremonies that must be done. People's consciences were burdened by this. They were taught uh, subliminally or not that uh, by not doing a particular ceremony or not, they were sinning against God. And so there were a lot of things that were going on. And uh, first of all, I want to thank Pastor Kuhlman for coming back. Thank you, Pastor. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, Well, you're always welcome here. And uh, we have Pastor Kuhlman on KNNA 95.7 on a regular basis. He's on Table Talk, uh, Nebraska Table Talks, uh, every week. And I believe that's on Monday. And then throughout the week, you can hear him on, uh, is it uh, Thy Strong Word or His Strong Word? In the Word, the Bible study, In the Word, and right now Pastor Kuhlman is taking us through the Gospel of Mark. Great blessings for our hearers. Pastor, I'm going to, I'm gonna before, we, before I ask you the big question to get us back into our hymnal topic, I want to ask you a question. Uh, our hearers hear you all the time on the radio. Can you tell us in 60 seconds or less a little bit about yourself where you're from, how long you've been at Trinity Murdoch, and a brief synopsis of your family. Sure. I, I serve Trinity Lutheran Church, Murdoch, Nebraska. That's in between Lincoln and Omaha, just south of Mahoney State Park. And I've been at Trinity Murdoch. We're going on 21 years. It's where we've raised our kids. Previously, I served at Faith in Hebron, Nebraska. Married to Robin. She's an elementary school teacher at the uh, school in Elmwood. She teaches fifth and sixth grade math. I always joke I am a uh, referee widower because she referees volleyball and basketball, so she's gone a lot. So, And I've gone a lot, too. We're just busy. We're, we're empty nesters and enjoying it very much. Um, I've had the opportunity to teach a lot overseas. I've been to Siberia four times to teach at the seminary over there. i uh, been to Sumatra three times to teach, as well as Vietnam, uh, this previous August, teaching pastors about pastoral theology, preaching, all that jazz. So that's kind of where I'm at. Okay, uh, appreciate that. Kids? Yeah, three kids. Like I said, empty nesters. Um, Allison lives here in Lincoln, works at Huddle. Jake, our son, he's in Wichita, Kansas. He's an assistant golf pro at the Wichita Country Club. And Carly, our youngest, she is uh, finishing up her Associate of Arts degree this uh, semester at uh, Northeast Community College in Norfolk. You uh, you talk like a Nebraskan. You have common sense like a Nebraskan. <laughs> People assume you are from Nebraska. Uh, correct that assumption right now, Pastor. Well, I was born in Kimball, and my grandmother's still there. Uh, but uh, from third grade on, lived in Glenrock, Wyoming. So I'm from Wyoming, uh, and Wyoming people are very independent, very vocal, very opinionated. So that's cool, man. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that uh, brief biographical sketch there. I want to ask with regard to our hymnal topic, worship in general, and uh, the specific topic of Adiaphora. What have we learned from the Adiaphora controversy, not only historically, but what have we learned that we can employ today? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. And in fact, that's that's exactly the direction I wanted to go. So in other words, what are the chief lessons that we learned from the flyby that I did of that controversy in the 1540s and onward? Well, number one, let's learn this one. And I want to be very clear about it, that this crisis that I described, then does, it should never become a working principle of absolute freedom when it comes to the liturgy. I'm going to repeat that. One of the chief lessons that I think we can learn from this is that 
we that this is not a working principle whereby a congregation just has total absolute freedom when it comes to the liturgy. So anything goes. That's correct. Okay, that should never be. But that's exactly what that's. Well, I'm speaking in general. Okay. But usually that's the way it's it's pushed. Okay. All right. And by the way, I, I've said this to you before, and let me interject this point so the, the hearers hear it. I can't remember if we've talked about it on the radio or not, but uh, um, let's not forget that what our Lord gives in the divine service and what he's mandated to be given is for the sake of sinners living by faith, faith alone in Jesus for salvation. And that's extremely important. Most people don't realize this, so I want to say it one more time. Is Paul in his letter to the Romans. And by the way, when you read, read, when you read Romans, you finally learn what the Old Testament's all about. So you're an Old Testament scholar, aren't you? I like to think myself that way, yes. Yeah, I'm not. You are. Okay, so I, I hesitate to say such a thing in front of an Old Testament scholar, but I'm going to dare to do it. In order to understand the Old Testament correctly, you must read Paul's letter to the Romans. On any topic, you have to read his letter. And so for the sake of our discussion today, in Romans chapter 1, he gives a summary of what the entire Old Testament is about. He quotes Habakkuk. This is his... Uh, small talk, if you will, or what's the right word when the when the secretaries take the notes? Shorthand. Shorthand. This is the shorthand. This is Paul's shorthand when he quotes Habakkuk in Romans 1, that the justified live by faith. faith. And then Romans 4 clinches that argument with his example of Abraham. Okay? And it, this is what the liturgy is all about. In liturgy, of course, I'm using in a very narrow sense the way the Apology does in Article 24 about God being among us, namely Jesus, the enfleshed incarnate one, being with us to serve us, as he says in Luke 22, or as he says in Matthew 20, verse 28. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So again, one of the chief lessons we learn in talking about this adiaphorous controversy in the 1540s is we should not have a working principle that we can just do whatever we want. Okay, Because what we've learned is, is that certain ceremonies and certain rites are not necessarily indifferent. <laughs> they can confess something just the opposite of what the Bible teaches, right? They carry, they carry a baggage with them that is far beyond what meets the, the naked eye. Yeah. Secondly, um, we, should, we should also remember that Article 10 of the Solid Declaration serves as a confession and defense of the gospel. A defense and confession of the gospel itself. In other words, it frees us from audioforistic talk as some sort of, again, universal principle that covers a neutral area. Because that's the way a lot of people think this is, this is. It's neutral. So we can do whatever we want. So, and if you, if you run with that, then what do you, 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 you do what? You say, oh, I can take control of this. I can be in charge of this. I'll make arrangements of, of the liturgy as best I can. Uh, creative worship. Huh? You know what I'm talking about? I do. Where I the do. pastor sits down Saturday night, gets on his computer, and then creates whole right you know when he's got the hymnal sitting right there but he creates his own right and then he quotes fc sd 10 right it is for freedom christ has set me free so i am free with no limits no strings attached but the irony is this is it brings you under a bondage and it's a bondage of the law that's the irony of all of it and thirdly when we study this audioforistic controversy it calls the church to examine the impact of so-called indifferent things on the gospel itself. That is to say, and I hinted at this earlier, neither Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, or American evangelical style can be separated from its theological content. So when David Lukey, when he, you know, this, those of you who don't know David Lukey. Evangelical style and Lutheran substance. He, he's absolutely incorrect. In other words, uh, for the sake of our time and discussion, Professor Lukey taught that you can you can worship like a Pentecostal or an American evangelical and still be Lutheran in substance. That is absolutely wrong. And this is exactly what the Adiaphorist, Adiaphorist <laughs> I can't talk, what Solid Declaration Article 10 teaches. <laughs> and I've got more to say about this. Well, and we're probably uh, running out of time. No, well, we're we're uh, we need to uh kind of start to tie a ribbon on this uh, this section here where we're summarizing the what we've learned from history and all this. So it seems to me that we have a, uh, a bit of a 
conundrum. I don't know if that word is uh, in use anymore. We have a paradox. So we have freedom because God's word, the Bible, tells us that in Christ we are free. And if Christ has set us free, we are free indeed. And yet, as we learn in the history of the church and we study in our confessions, that with regard to how we receive the gifts of God, this freedom is not absolute. Maybe in the time that we have left, Pastor, you can explain to us when Jesus says, uh, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And as St. Paul teaches us in Galatians, uh, what true, that we are truly free what kind of freedom is God, through his word, teaching us? <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's delicious. Uh, it's a twofold freedom. It's fr- and in the John 8 context that you quoted. Correct. In connection with Paul and his letters, and Galatians especially, it is a freedom from something. It is a freedom from the damnation, the accusation of the law. Secondly, then, it is freedom for something. And that is the freedom of love in service for the neighbor. And so in this particular topic, no one can condemn us for a certain ceremony or rite necessarily. Okay. And at the same time, we are free then to say, no, I'm not going to do a certain rite or ceremony out of love for my neighbors. Now, that's something the Missouri Senate congregation should really think about for a long time. In other words, you know what? If I do this, if I start doing this in our service, what kind of impact will that have on my brothers and sisters, not only in the neighboring congregation five miles away, but on the entire congregations in my district and maybe the Senate? We should think about those kinds of things. This uh, rugged individualism that is uh, a hallmark of the United States of America, this uh, 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 being uh, autonomous as a congregation has led us into some particular kinds of, I'll quote Pastor Kuhlman here, naughtiness, uh, some particular kinds of sin where we only think about ourselves and we don't think about our neighbor, which is contrary to the very essence of the gospel itself. We need to take a short break. We're going to come back and continue to unpack this Adiaphora, things indifferent with regard to worship, and what this means as it plays out for us in our Sunday morning worship. We'll be back in just a moment. This is At Home in Your Hymnal. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is our very special guest, Pastor Brent Kuhlman. This is episode four of At Home in Your Hymnal. We're thank, thankful for Pastor Kuhlman giving of his time to talk a bit about the theology of worship. And we were talking about uh, things that we learn from God's Word through the Lutheran confessions with regard to worship, that uh, absolute freedom, anything goes, is not the way to run things, that uh, Article 10 of the Formula of Concord is primarily a defense and confession of the gospel. And we need to understand the impact of what we would call indifferent things on the gospel. Pastor Kuhlman, can you give us some examples? Can you, can you uh, help us kind of put this theology into a concrete form so that we can see with our eyes and ears over the radio? Yeah. And uh, I see you, uh, you just whipped open the uh, formula of Concord. I don't know if you want to start with a quote there before you get into the examples or vice versa. I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, let's quickly review what I said in the, in the previous segment that uh, this audiophoristic controversy calls the church to examine the impact of so-called indifferent things on the gospel itself. And if I remember correctly, I said, you know, neither the Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, or American evangelical style can be separated from its theological content. Thus, paragraph 5 of Article 10 of the Solid Declaration, which says, to explain this controversy, and by God's grace finally to settle it, we present to the Christian reader this simple statement regarding the matter in conformity with God's word. Namely, when under the title and pretext of external adiaphora, such things are proposed as are in principle contrary to God's word, 
although painted another color, these are not to be regarded as adi afra. I'll give you some examples of that here in a moment, okay? Okay. Okay. In which one is free to act as he will, but must be avoided as things prohibited by God. In like manner, too, such ceremony should not be reckoned among the genuine free adiaphora or matters of indifference, as make a show or feign the appearance as though our religion and that of the papists were not far apart, thus to avoid persecution, that's a reference to the Leipzig interim, or as though the latter were not at least highly offensive to us, or when such ceremonies are designed for the purpose and required and received in this sense, as though by and through them both contrary religions were reconciled and became one body, or when re-entering into the papacy and a departure from the pure doctrine of the gospel and true religion should occur or gradually follow therefrom. When there is a danger, lest we seem to have re-entered the papacy and to have departed or to be on the point of departing gradually from the pure doctrine of the gospel. And then they quote Second Corinthians 6, where Paul says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, etc., etc. Now, that, that is extremely helpful, Pastor. And uh, before I let you give the examples, I just want to remind our hearers that that's from one of the uh, documents of the 10 documents that are part of the Lutheran Confessions. They're contained in the Book of Concord. That was Article 10 of the Formula of Concord, Paragraph 5 and following. Uh, Pastor Kuhlman read from the Triglata, which is a public domain uh, translation of the formula uh, of the entire book of Concord that's available on your website. So you can check that out for free anytime and you can check us out and check up on us so that we are quoting and teaching and explaining these things as they are intended. Now, uh, a phrase that was pounded into me uh, in this particular study is that all adiaphora are not created equal. Right. Would that be a fair way yeah. of summarizing what you just read? Yep. Okay. Or to say it again, to repeat, so there's no misunderstanding. Neither Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, or American Evangelical style can be separated from its theological content. And that's precisely what the Leipzig interim was counting on. They were thinking we can dupe these Lutherans, the, not only the congregation members and their clergy, to adopting certain ceremonials and rites that push Roman doctrine that would deny justification by faith or the gospel itself. That's the same thing. Okay. Okay. Now here's yeah, a, give us some examples. Okay. Just for the sake of time, let's just hit one. And this, this is a, this might rub some people really raw. They might not like to hear it, but I'm going to dare to say it. <laughs> I'm from Wyoming. <laughs> I'll face the consequences. Go for it. Um, recently in the Missouri Senate, there is this, this big push among the clergy to refuse to face the people as they either chant or say the words of institution of the Lord's Supper. Where do they face if they don't face the people, Pastor? They, 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 they purposely and will only face the altar. And they will elevate both the body of Christ and the blood of Christ in the chalice with genuflection. And this implies certain things. The ceremonial, the ritual implies certain things. So the ceremony actually teaches something. Well. Or is attempting to teach something. Well, to put the best construction on it, they, these men would say that they're, they're extolling the real presence of the Lord. And no doubt that's a good argument. But on the other hand, just to play devil's advocate here, uh, many people see this and they say, well, that's exactly what the priest does at St. Pat's. So have we now, is, has the Reformation now a mistake? Are we now offering the body and blood to God the Father as an atoning sacrifice for the living and the dead? Because that's what the ceremony in and of itself shows. Now let me illustrate this in another way. I, I'll ask you, I'll put you on the spot. When you preach in the pulpit, do you face the altar? No, I face the people. Why? Because it is God speaking to the people of God through the mouth and lips of the human pastor. As he preaches the word, right? Correct. So you, you are proclaiming God's word to God's people. 
on behalf of God yeah. in the stead and by the command. So God is the one speaking correct through his word and yeah. through you. And, and I'm not God. I'm just right. the voice or the, the mouthpiece. Yeah, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, ambassadors. Okay, so let me ask another question. So in the, in the, in the introductory part of the divine service, after everybody's confessed their sin in general, and you speak the absolution, do you face the altar when you speak the absolution? No, I face the people. Why? For the same reason, God is the one absolving the people through the mouth, the breath of the pastor. So the absolution, that those are the words of Christ that Christ mandated to be spoken, John 20, Matthew 16, Matthew 18. Just a simple matter of direction. Correct. So similarly, this is why the Lutheran Reformation and Luther in his Deutsche Messe says that when you celebrate the Lord's Supper, the pastor should face the congregation and speak or chant the words of institution. Why? Because they are Christ's words to the people. So my point is this. When, when you, may, you may argue that this has always been the posture of Lutheran pastors in Germany and Scandinavia, etc., for centuries. Okay? You can argue that, and many people do. But nonetheless, the ceremony teaches something differently. And my point is, is that this ceremony may come with certain content. And I'm talking about Roman Catholic content. And if that's the case, these things that you might consider to be indifferent are no longer indifferent. Make sense? It does. Now, uh, I want to play devil's advocate because I learned this from you. Uh, there are some in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregations, when they see their pastor wearing a robe and they know that the evangelical pastor down the street wears a three-piece suit or a polo shirt, when they hear their pastors chanting the liturgy as, a, as opposed to preaching the liturgy, when they see these outward things, how could we not use that same argument that those things are teaching Roman Catholicism because the Roman Catholic Church down the street does it as well? Right. And we live in an American context uh, where those things are easily identified with Rome. And so, again, pastoral discretion is very helpful here and human wisdom. So if this is going to be an offense to the people— then don't do it. If it gets in the way of the preaching of the gospel, then don't do it. That'd be my advice. Okay. You're free, you're free not to do that, by the way. You're, you're free not to do it. And would we say that to burden the, the consciences of uh, folks in the pew, maybe especially uh, weaker folks mm -hmm. in the pew, uh, would be a time when we would hold back and refrain from exercising the freedom that we have in Christ? Absolutely. Is that a fair way to say it? Absolutely. It's okay. called love. It, it is called love. Uh, Pastor, we've got just a, just a couple of minutes left. I want to push you on that example that you used with regard to the direction that you face. Uh, I know this is a huge topic, but something that ties in and that I thought of as you were talking about this is the matter of a Eucharistic prayer mm -hmm. and when and what posture and where prayer comes in the communion part of the liturgy. Could you, could you touch on that for just a bit? Well, yeah. Um, prayer, of course, is going to flow either from or into the gift that's going to be given. So you would pray with regard to Lord's Supper. You're going to pray for the right use of the sacrament, right? Correct. Then you're after receiving the gift, you're going to give thanks. Thanks. But we have to have the, the proper distinctions. The words of institution are not a prayer. And so those, those two things must be kept separate. Make sense? It does. And let, I want to I stress, uh, uh, push you on that so that our hearers understand exactly what you are saying when you say that. Prayer has a direction. And it's sacrificial, it is, by the it way. Is, it is what we would call sacrificial. The direction is from me, the prayer, to God, the prayee. What message are we sending when we turn the verba, the words of institution, into a prayer? Well, we'd never want to do that. And, and if you give people the impression that that's what's going on, then you need to stop that. And you may give all kinds of theological reasons, historically, et cetera, that we've always done this. And, and, and they'll quote liturgies, too. They'll quote, you know, Kirchenordnungen, if you will, where this stuff is happening. Well, <laughs> when you've got people in America who say, your own, your own people, I'm, I, I should say that, your own people who are being scandalized by this because that's what, you do, that's what they do at St. Pat's. Are you now Roman Catholic, Reverend? You have to back off a little bit. The Word of God is God speaking to his people. Yeah, I, think, I think we should follow Luther's advice here so that there's no confusion. 
so that no one is confused with the facing eastward. The pastor, I, I would simply say, let's follow his advice, Luther's advice, and face the people. Face the people. Put, put the bread in your hand and face the people and memorize the words so you don't have to look in the book. And I know that's, that's a stumbling block for a lot of guys, but they need to do that. If I were a bishop in the church, they'd have to memorize the words of institutions so they could do this. Get your head out of the book, man. Well, I can't. Well, then maybe you shouldn't be a pastor right now. Maybe you better learn that first. <laughs> Uh, we need to take a break. This is Pastor Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Brent Kuhlman from Trinity and Murdoch. We're looking at the direction of worship. We're looking at what we learn and also some examples, some very real concrete examples that teach us that all adiaphora is not created equal. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is our special guest today, Pastor Brent Kuhlman from Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch. Welcome back, Pastor. Thanks, Clint. Good to be with you. Yes, it has been a very good and very fruitful discussion. Where we left off, we were talking about freedom in worship. We were talking about uh, some of the things that are classified under indifferent things or adiaphora. And uh, I want to I explore that topic a little bit here. I'm reminded of uh, a time when uh, our new, then new, synodical president, Matt Harrison, addressed the district convention of the Nebraska district. And uh, it was kind of an open forum. A young pastor came up and said, uh, you know, we have a lot of questions regarding worship in our in our uh, circuit, in our district, and it would be helpful if the uh, synodical president would give some ideas or encouragement or advice. And uh, President Harrison, for those of you that know him or don't know him, he's a he's a larger-than-life kind of a man, a very gregarious kind of a guy, and he went to the microphone, and with regard to this topic of what is worship or what isn't worship, he leaned forward and he said if you guys out there are using confessions that don't confess or absolutions that don't absolve you're out of bounds if you're not using a creed in the worship service you're out of bounds if you're not using the Lord's prayer in a worship service you're out of bounds if you're not using the words of institution in the celebration of the sacrament you're out of bounds and then that was it. And the people who use the hymnal and the liturgy, they felt vindicated. And the people who didn't use the liturgy felt vindicated. And we came away from that, and it was really uh, a very, very empty feeling. I don't know if you remember that particular time, uh, Pastor Kuhlman, but um, being reminded of it, what, what are your impressions and reactions to that well i mean to put the best construction on it there's not enough time at a, at a place like this to give a full answer so he was trying to give a brief answer but i think it would have been helpful if he could have made the rationale the theological rationale for saying all right if you're not doing a certain thing then it's out of bounds and so maybe the next time he would talk about this maybe he would uh, speak something like this that let's not forget folks that uh, justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ is the heart of the Lutheran Reformation, and therefore so too is worship. And so 
when we talk about worship, it's good to talk about how the Apology to the Augsburg Confession talks about it, in particular using the word liturgy. We, I mentioned this before, but I'm a, I want to review it again for our listeners. Again, this is the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 24. And let me just read uh, a portion from uh, paragraph 79 and following here. And this is with regard to liturgy. It says, let us speak about the term liturgy. This word does not properly mean a sacrifice, namely our movement, a movement from us to God, but rather a public service. And what Melanchthon means there is what Jesus says in, in uh, Luke 22, I'm among you as one who serves. Okay, mentioned that before. Now back to the apology. Thus, it agrees quite well with our position, namely, that the one minister who consecrates gives the body and blood of the Lord to the rest of the people, just as a minister who preaches sets forth the gospel to the people, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. Think of us in this way as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries. That is, now listen very carefully, folks, of the gospel and the sacraments. Now, I'm going to read some more from this in just a second, but just in case you're wondering, why am I doing this? It's to piggyback on what President Harrison said and saying a little more, giving the theological rationale for using certain things. It's for the sake of the gospel. And secondly, and maybe this is, should be the first thing said, is we're going to make sure that we do what the Lord's mandated and instituted. And anything else that uh, we do should either flow from that or flow into it for the sake of the proper distinction between sacrament and sacrifice or the proper distinction between the law and the gospel. Let me read a little bit more here. Because then Melanchthon quotes Second Corinthians 5. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, note this. Thus, the term liturgy fits well with the ministry, and they mean the, the office of the holy ministry. So, when we talk about liturgy, and that's what uh, Pastor Harrison was trying to sure. answer the question. When we talk about liturgy, let's be very precise, very precise. And I think this, this could be helpful in answering the question, is it's not necessarily... Uh, the order of service or the ceremonies of the service, but it's the content. Now, I'm making a particular distinction. It's content, not the order and not necessarily the ceremonies. That is to say, content would be the word and the sacraments. That's liturgy. That's divine service. What Jesus gives in what he's mandated and instituted. So liturgy then in the way of apology Article 24, in the way of Article 24, is not adiaphron. It's not something indifferent, because I've defined liturgy in a certain specific way as what? Making sure that you do what Jesus mandated and instituted. Make sense? It does, and uh, I think when most people are talking about liturgy, they're not using that kind of a definition. Right, and we have to help people do that. They're using the externals. Yes, uh, or the, an order. You know, do, you, do you stand or do you sit? Do you use an organ? Do you use a guitar? Uh, do you use, in, in Lutheran speak, do you use uh, setting one or setting two or creative worship, or do you write your own liturgy? So I think, I think we, um, in Lutheran fashion, we need to define our terms precisely so that we can have a fruitful conversation. May I uh, give a quote from one of my uh, favorite professors on this? Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Norman Nagel, he would always say, and I quote, we don't sit down first off and say, what's the best way to do it? The Lord gives us the means of grace and says, here, get on with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but those are those are very, very wise words. Uh, it is not the method, the method that is the primary thing. It is the message or content. As that I was is saying, yes. the, the the message or the content yeah. that is the primary thing. I'm reminded of a uh, uh, time when Pastor or not uh, uh, President uh, Kishnick invited uh, 
myself and uh, one of our lay leaders to a big workshop in Omaha. It was by Invitation Omaha. It was at King of Kings Lutheran Church in Omaha, and it was titled uh, Igniting Churches Workshop. And the fastest growing churches in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod were invited. Uh, The 30 of us were there. And uh, Kurt Christensen, you know Kurt, yeah. uh, he was uh, our chairman of our congregation and our layman that went. And at the very beginning, President Kieschnick offered this uh, wonderful thing about what we were doing and why we were doing it. And Kurt Christensen raised his hand and he says, President Kieschnick, he said, uh, is this conference going to be about message or method? And he wanted to know if it was about content or about the, 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 the way, the superficial thing. And President Kieschnick, he stood there for a little bit, and he said, uh, 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 well, 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 of course, message. It's always about the message. It's always about the message. We're going to be talking about the message. And then we proceeded to have a two-and-a-half-day workshop where 0% of the time was on the message, the content, and 100% of the time was on the method and the methodology. This is what happens in the church today. This is an observation. You can see it happening all the time. What is going on here, Pastor Kuhlman, and how can we pre- uh, prevent this uh from happening in the future? How can we keep ourselves from falling into that ditch? Well, I think it goes back to how we started this segment. If you're going to talk about worship, liturgy, you have to start not with the formula of Concord Solid Declaration 10, but start with Apology and Augsburg Confession Article 4 and connect it with Apology 24 that I just quoted, namely, justification by faith alone. That is to say, worship is all about making sure that people live by faith alone in Jesus Christ for salvation. That's it. That's the content. And, you, and that's why we properly distinguish between the law and the gospel. That's precisely why Melanchthon in the Apology makes the proper distinction between sacrament and sacrifice in opposition to the Roman contention that when you go to church, you need to do something for God that will reconcile you to him. Same way with the American evangelicals. It's the same thing, making your decision for Jesus. That then reconciles you to God. So you'd better be doing something. And it's Lutheranism's the only game in town, it seems like these days, and I'm speaking in general, that, that properly makes these distinctions. I think, so ignorance is one thing. Some of it may just be a rejection of the biblical teaching of justification. So if I may, right before the break, let me say this. You know, forms and ceremonies in and of themselves, they are indifferent, but not the Holy Gospel and not the sacraments that Christ has instituted. So the liturgy then is the content And that's given by the Lord Jesus. And he continues to give that in his words, as we've observed. Okay. You've given us much to chew on, Pastor. Uh, You've used that uh, comparison, those phrases, sacrament and sacrifice, uh, several times throughout the discussion. I want to flesh that out a little bit more. And uh, specifically, something for you to think about over the break, is most people today do not talk in terms of sacrifice and sacrament or sacrificial action or sacramental action in worship. Most of the time, people talk about contemporary and traditional. When we are talking in that way, why are we missing the point that you just made in this, uh, in this segment. We're going to tackle that when we come back from our break. This is At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pres- Pastor Brent Kuhlman. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to At Home in Your Hymnal. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me today is my uh, very special guest, Pastor Brent Kuhlman, Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. Pastor, welcome back, and thank you once again. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope we, it's edifying for folks. Well, I'm, I'm sure it will be, and we've gotten some very interesting comments back already on this At Home in Your Hymnal. Uh, getting people to think theologically 
about what happens on Sunday morning, why we go to church, what is happening when we go to church, and the fact that Lutherans intentionally do things different yeah. than many other Christians. Yeah. In, along with that uh, that line, I uh, I kind of left the people hanging a little bit of a teaser at the end of our uh, last segment. We've made a definition with regard to liturgy, and that definition is the content of what goes on. You've talked with regard to that content, two different directions or two different flows of that content, things that are sacrifice, things that are sacrament, or things that are sacrificial in nature and things that are sacramental in nature. Now, it's been my experience that most Christians don't think that way and don't talk that way, even though the scriptures do. My experience is that when it comes to worship, most Christians talk about contemporary or traditional or a mixture, a blend of that contemporary and the traditional. Pastor, how is it that when we talk in those terms, we are talking past each other, and how can we come back to a fruitful conversation with regard to what God's Word teaches regarding worship? Well, I think we have to encourage people in the pew as well as the the clergy who are in the churches to repent. And what I mean by that is I've given you a fundamental thesis that our Lord Jesus Christ has mandated and instituted that repentance and forgiveness of sins be proclaimed, Luke 24, that the office of the keys be exercised and used, Matthew 16, Matthew 18, John 20. He's mandated that the gospel be preached to all creation, Mark 16. He's mandated that uh, disciples are to be made by baptizing in the triune name and teaching everything that he's commanded. He's also mandated that... uh, People are to eat and drink his body and blood in the sacrament, believing the promise that it's given and shed for the forgiveness of sins, Matthew 16. I could go on and on. The, this is the fundamental thesis that I'm repeating over and over again so that people will finally, finally get the hang of it when we talk about worship or liturgy. Liturgy, again, is what the Lord has given to do for the sake of his bestowing the benefits of his Good Friday death on the cross in the passages I've just mentioned, all right? This is so extremely important because you remember at the transfiguration, what did the father say to Peter, James, and John? This is my beloved son. Uh, Listen to him. There you go. That's so both. This is is my son. I'm pleased with him because he's going to Calvary to answer for the sins of the entire world. Now you listen to him. Now see, for Dr. Luther, that text right there was one of the biggest texts in the New Testament. Listen to Jesus. So in a roundabout way of answering your question to begin this segment, it's time for us all to let the Lord Jesus Christ have his say-so and let him have the say-so first. And he says, I want you to do these things. Why? Because I'm, I'm among you as one who serves, giving you the forgiveness of sins, the salvation that I won for you at Calvary. And so when we talk about those things, you see, that's, those things aren't indifferent, and they can't be, done without, can't be lived without in the church. So we need to repent of our saying, we've got better words than the Lord. Or if we could only have certain techniques, or you know what I'm trying to say? I do, I do. Uh, you know, the, the Genesis 3 malignancy that we all have, is we have better words than the Lord. Now, it's time for us when we talk about these things to finally just listen to Jesus and do what he says and trust that he's going to have a church, et cetera, et cetera, in the way that he does them. Let me illustrate one other point I wanted to make. I said, you know, he instituted all those things that I mentioned, Luke 24, Mark 16, et cetera, right? Sure. Okay. And the, I said... The, the Great Commission yeah, yeah, texts. Yeah. So when I talk about the liturgy, um, it's what... Uh, is given. That's the content. All those passages I just mentioned. It's given by the Lord Jesus Christ, and it continues. That content is continually being given by Jesus. So his actions, his speaking, his giving cannot be called indifferent. So one more time, I'm set one more time for the sake of the people then. Liturgy, in the way I've defined it according to confessions, 
is the words and the works of God. Let me give an example, another one from the large catechism on baptism. A lot of pastors don't even know this. And here's, here's why we need to repent. You remember that the large catechism teaches that when you're baptized in God's name, you're baptized by God himself. See who's doing the, the action? Who's doing the giving? And what's he giving? He's giving you his name and everything that goes with it. Salvation. Okay? So in the church, would we dare say, well, we can live without that? Not hardly. Similarly with the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of repentance, etc. Okay? So this is, this is I, th- I hope, very helpful for people. And I think this is why, and I have it in front of me, I wanted to get to this, I think this is precisely why Augsburg Confession, Article 7, speaks about the church the way it does. It gives a <clears throat> liturgical definition of the church. Now, if you've been listening and connecting the dots, and I say liturgical, I'm talking about the content, remember? So AC7, and I, this is the Latin translation. Likewise, they teach that one holy church will remain forever. The church is the assembly of saints in which the gospel is purely taught and the sacraments are administered rightly. That's, so the point is, again, so that sinners will live by faith alone in Jesus, and this is how the Lord Jesus has his church. Now, if I may, can I keep going? Please do. <laughs> let's, let's speak of the, I've spoken of the liturgy in a very narrow sense, the content. Now let's expand it and let's talk about liturgy in a broader sense, okay? And just imagine that you've got in front of you, you've got a, a sheet of paper and it's got three columns on it. And we're going to move from left to right with these three columns. The left-hand column, we're going to talk about what our Lord has mandated. So we'll talk about the divinely mandated stuff. The middle column, we'll talk about things that are mixed. Okay? And then the, the far right-hand column, we'll talk about oh, things that humans can decide on what to do. All right? So on the one hand, the left column, liturgy in the narrow sense, what's been divinely mandated. The middle column, you've got a mixture, which would be the right, if you will, or the setting the of cere- the content. Ceremony. Yeah. And then the far right-hand column, the human decisions that can be made. We'll talk about those things as the manner in which these things are done or the ceremonies or the adornment, if you will. So that left-hand column, the divinely mandated things are word and sacrament, absolution, scripture readings, preaching, giving out the body and blood of Christ. And one thing that I have mentioned, also benediction, blessing, okay? That would be the divinely mandated things, liturgy in the narrow sense. But as we expand and move to the right with our columns, let's broaden this definition. And so when we talk about the right or the settings, we can talk then about the order of service, which is geared for the proper distinction between the law and the gospel in the ordering and the balance of it. And I I contend that the Lutheran rite has it done well. We'll talk more about that more in a little bit. Um, Part of this middle column about... uh, the rite or the setting. You have biblical canticles and you have biblical texts. You have a lectionary and you have a church here. The far right hand with the the ceremony, what's humanly decided. You know, like, okay, what kind of music? Um, what's what kind of vestments can we wear? Uh, what about our posture? You know, um, gestures. How do we move? Where do we stand? What kind of vessels can we use? Paraments. How about that? Um, incense, art, or other kinds of adornments. So what I'm trying to do is just kind of set the table for more discussion on this and expand it. Now, do you have any, you're looking at me kind of puzzled. No, I, I, I'm thinking that uh, I, I love this distinction and this, this three-part chart, so to speak. Uh, why do you think it is that when when it comes to a discussion of worship, that most people want to be on the far right end, and they want to talk only about those kind of things, and they really don't pay much attention to what you have on the far left, th- those things that are non-negotiables, those, those things that are there. Uh, yeah, oh, 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 yeah. But the most important thing in my mind, in my heart, in my feeling or in my pastoral on, practice. Yes, yeah. yes. Why, why do you think that people gravitate in that direction? Well, I think to put the best construction on it is that 
they're trying to express that left-hand column properly. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. So, in other words, we're in the presence of God himself in the divine service, where he's the content is the Lord serving us with his word and sacrament. And so posture, gesture, etc., as well as other adornments, whether it might be incense, uh, these things are reflective of this fact. That's the put the best construction on it. And I'm all for that. I mean, you can attend Trinity Murdoch, and you'll see that happening. Okay, And so that's, that's what happens a lot. But now you're mentioning worst-case scenario. Well, I, th- I think many times people only think about the kind of music that they like, the kind of um, adornments that they like or they don't like. Right. And so they tend to gravitate in that direction. And the the non-negotiables, the word and the sacrament, uh, properly distinguished, that's almost an, an oh-by-the-way, kind of a flyby. Yeah. Um, I don't know. How much time do we have here in this segment? What do we oh, have well, we probably need to be bringing this segment down uh, bringing this to a close, but okay, so we, what can, we can pick this up on a, on another program. Pastor. I'll tell you what I'd like to do then, another program. I've got like three things that I can talk about okay. in answering your question here, and I think that would be helpful for our listeners. Okay. okay. Set, set the st- can you set the stage, give us an outline well, of those Well, I'll, I'll talk more about what I mean by that left-hand column about mandate, and then in with the middle column, with the rites and the, the ceremonies, of course, which are man-made, I'll talk more about that. And then, well, I'll make another point, and I'll just, this is a tweaker, if you will, then, that not everything contained in liturgical rites, did you hear what I said? Rites are necessarily man-made. Okay. <laughs> so what I, what I gave, I've kind of taken back on, on that particular point, but that's a teaser, and I'll illustrate that in our next program. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Kuhlman, for being here with us today. We have... Um, we have learned a lot, and we're, I feel like we're just scratching the surface on this topic as well with regard to sacrificial and sacramental action. And you have taught us to remember that first and foremost, worship is God serving us. And how does he serve us? He serves us with Jesus. Forgiveness, life, and salvation in and through Jesus and Jesus only. And we as the people of God joyfully receive these gifts and then have the joy and the opportunity to respond back with our sacrifice of praise. We'll have more on this the next time we tackle this uh, topic. Thanks for tuning in to At Home in Your Hymnal, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Kuhlman, God's richest blessings in Christ.